Good morning, North Bullet Christian Church. How are you guys doing this morning? My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're thankful this morning that you are joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, we want to encourage you, uh, get out your Bibles, turn in Mark. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through to chapter 3, verse 6 this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we proclaim your glory this morning. You are such a blessing to us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we adore him. We thank you for his work, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. Lord, we thank you for your word that informs us, that gives us life. It is the bread of life, God. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray for our church as we are apart. God, we pray that we would feel a nearness to each other, even in spirit. Lord, we pray that your word would continue to sanctify us and grow us. Lord, we pray that, that you would encourage us to be praying people, that we would be down on our knees begging you for mercy and grace. Lord, that we would be humble people. God, that we would be just like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for our land. We confess sin as a church. We confess sin individually. We repent. Lord, we pray for uh, you to come against this virus that continues to spread, and we will continue to pray these words each and every week until we see this come to a stop. Lord, would you move in your church? Would your spirit move? Would you awaken your people? Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you give us joy in the midst of pain and suffering? and help us to endure well and to love our neighbors well. We pray these things through the power of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning once again. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you want to join with me and read this morning. Uh, starting in verse 23, it says this, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here! And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. As a child, have you ever been convinced uh, that something was truth, only to find out later that it wasn't? I can recall in the second or maybe third grade that I could manipulate my eyes a few different ways and make the girls laugh out on the playground during recess. If I focused on an object 
and brought that object in close to the bridge of my nose, I would go cross-eyed. And I looked pretty funny. I enjoyed making people laugh, and I still enjoy uh, getting laughter out of people. And my newfound and marvelous trick was always up my sleeve, a little too much. I probably had my eyes crossed more than they were straight during any given free time at school. As a boy, there's nothing that you want more than dad's approval. And so eager to show him my new trick, I waited for him to come home from a long day at work, crossed my eyes, and in response he said, son, I'm so proud of you that you can make your eyes cross. No. He said these words, you keep doing that, your eyes are going to get stuck like that. Can anybody relate to that response? Not the response I aimed to get, but nonetheless, I rarely cross my eyes after my father informed me, for my own safety, that my eyes would get stuck if I crossed them. I love to make people laugh, but not enough to have my eyes stuck and to be seeing double vision for the rest of my life. Needless to say, I was convinced for my own safety that, that I would rarely if ever cross my eyes for fear that they would get stuck. The damage was done. My father, out of annoyance from me after a long day's work or maybe just to get a good laugh with my mom later on in the evening in my absence, had convinced me of the old tradition, what, your eyes will get stuck like that. Simply illustrated by this story, the Sabbath was of utmost a concern for practicing Jews in this time period. A time of rest that was to be observed had been used by religious leaders who had been convinced for generations and generations that at any, any amount of work would be a violation of the Sabbath. This morning we learned that the Sabbath was altogether something born out of God's love for his people. But they were so convinced by hundreds of years of teaching from tradition uh, over the Bible, that a mark of freedom, the Sabbath, and rest had become a toilsome burden to God's people. The two Sabbath controversies that we find this morning mark the fourth and fifth confrontations with the Pharisees and the scribes in chapters 2 and 3 of the Gospel of Mark. From healing the paralytic, do you guys remember that? Forgiving his sin, blasphemy in the eyes of the scribes, uh, to eating with tax collectors, and sinners, becoming apostate to custom in the act of fasting, and now today breaking the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus quickly confronts and deconstructs burdensome tradition upon burdensome tradition. This morning, we first need to understand the context of the Sabbath in this particular time and the influence of Sabbath on the Jewish culture. And so we're going to look, just for a few minutes, if you look at your notes, if you looked at those this morning on Facebook, the Sabbath in Jewish culture. We'll turn back to the Old Testament, Exodus 31, 12 to 14, should be right there on your notes. God's word says this, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say this, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you, Throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Pretty serious stuff there in God's word, wouldn't you agree? Let me reiterate the last two sentences. 
Everyone who profanes it, the Sabbath, shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. When God's instruction says to take something seriously, you think the Bible is saying to take the Sabbath seriously? Yes. Then you better take it seriously. I know, personally, I love to go zip lining. Uh, my family's been on a lot of different zip lining excursions. Uh, we did one right down here in Louisville when we first moved out here at the Mega Caverns. You go through a number of the different zip lines. There's one, I think, that's like 700 feet long, and it feels like you're about 50 stories above the ground. And you can't even see it because it's completely pitch black in there. And you better believe, before I get ready to step off that ledge, that I'm checking every strap, the harness, the clips, to make sure that they're all still attached. Why? Because I'm facing death. And so you better believe that the Jews, when they read a passage like this, that said they would be cut off, that they took that very seriously. And I think that's the context that we find ourselves in, in this passage. You see, the Sabbath is the major aspect of the Jewish culture. It's the thing that set them apart from every other culture in the world at the time. The Jewish people took a day of rest, emulating what God had done during the creation account and heeding God's instruction through Scripture. Moreover, every time they were in habitual violation of the Sabbath, if we look throughout the Old Testament, when they violated the Sabbath, God would carry out exactly what he said he would do. What? They would be cut off. They would be sent out. They would be punished by God. The Jews were cast from their land or punished because of becoming too much like their pagan neighbors, including violating the Sabbath. They learned that they were violating the Sabbath and were called by prophets and godly leaders to return and observe this holy day. The Sabbath ran from sundown on Friday, Friday evening, to sundown on Saturday evening and was designed as this, to be a day of rest. Rest is, I think as many of us are finding in these times, as everything has been stripped away from us, sports, shopping, restaurants, and we've been able to sit in our homes and we've had a time of rest, we've begun to see the busyness that we've had in our lives. And not that those are bad things. Sports are not bad. Restaurants are not bad. Shopping is not bad. Having a busy life is not bad. It's just when it becomes an ultimate thing now, it becomes an idol. And so we're seeing Sabbath play out in our lives right now as we, many of us are quarantined in our homes. It's a good thing. And yet as humans always do, and as we see in this Jewish culture, we take good things and we turn them into God things. We take God's good blessings, something like the Sabbath, a day of rest, and we turn it into a God thing. What do I mean by that? We bend and distort God's great blessings until we worship the blessing, we worship the thing over and above the one who blesses us. God gave the Sabbath as a blessing, a rest for us, setting us apart from others. And yet these Jewish leaders elevated the Sabbath to a place of God. We see that in their interaction with Jesus. That's exactly what the Pharisees had done with the Sabbath. They made strict rules of adherence for the Jewish people. That even if you were hungry, we see here the disciples are hungry. It wasn't Jesus picking the heads of grain. It was the disciples. They're hungry. They didn't have anything to eat. So they were probably picking the heads of grain, grinding them down in their hands and eating it. 
But the Pharisees, the Jewish leadership, had made strict rules of adherence for Jewish people that even if they were hungry on the Sabbath, such as we find here, that it was against the law, it was against their tradition to go out and pluck a few heads of grain to eat. You just had to starve that day because you didn't plan. Here are a few examples of some other Sabbath violations that we see from tradition. Journeying on the Sabbath was a violation of God's law. So you were in violation of the Sabbath. Hear this. If you walked more than 1,999 paces, steps. Okay, the religious leaders had the steps marked out. This constitutes a journey, 2,000 steps. You stay under that, then you're okay. You go over that, now you're violating God's law. 2,000 paces was considered a journey, but anything under was okay. Or, just like we see here, plucking heads of grain is considered reaping a harvest, right? Because you're reaping a huge harvest if you're going through and plucking a few heads of grain. It was considered reaping a harvest, and if you were reaping, then you were working, and God's Word says don't work on the Sabbath. You see how we take God's good blessings and we distort them. That's what we're seeing here in this passage. And in Exodus 31, it states that anyone doing work must be cut off. So we can see why the Pharisees are reacting this way. The Sabbath had been instituted as a blessing and a point of distinction for God's people, but it had been distorted by God's people. And isn't it just like us, again, to do those types of things? To take God's good blessings and distort them and heap them on people's backs? Aren't you so glad that we don't do that in the church anymore? We don't come up with our own list of legalisms to place on people, burdensome, toilsome work, when Christ has already paid the price at the cross. And so we have this, our second point this morning. We have controversy, this controversy uh, in the field with the grain, and then the controversy uh, with the man with a withered hand, the controversy culminates in a perceived Sabbath violation. Okay, we have two perceived Sabbath violations. One by the disciples. Jesus wasn't plucking heads of grain. The disciples were. And a violation from the Pharisees' point of view by Jesus. How dare he, what, on the Sabbath, heal a man with a withered hand? How dare he do that? Mark 2.24 says this, And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? This is the Pharisees talking to Jesus about his disciples plucking heads of grain. They're plucking heads of grain. If, if one had not prepared food ahead of time, we already talked about this, for the Sabbath, then they must go hungry. And yet, in the presence of God himself, let's remember that, Jesus is man, but he's also fully God. In the presence of God Himself, what do we find the disciples doing? Plucking heads of grain. Jesus Christ, the disciples, plucked a few heads of grain to eat on the Sabbath. How dare they pick something to eat? How dare they? Not only did the disciples seemingly violate the Sabbath, but Jesus also did in the eyes of the Pharisees. Mark 3, 2. The man with the withered hand is in the room. Mark 3, 2 says this, And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. I'll tell you this, in my study and also in my, in my personal opinion in reading this passage, I think the Pharisees were trying to set Jesus up. I think this man with the withered hand was brought 
into the room so they could see what Jesus would do. It was a trap. And do we see the Pharisee's heart here? God forbid that someone would have compassion. Jesus was compassionate towards this man. He saw that this person had need. How dare someone have compassion on God's day? It's the heart of the Pharisees. We take a look at that and we say, man, that's crazy. Why wouldn't we want to see someone healed on God's day? In this fourth and fifth controversy, Jesus is deconstructing the distortion of God's good law and using them to establish His authority. That's the question at hand this morning. It's Jesus' authority. It's why this sermon is called Freedom, because we have freedom in the authority of Christ. Jesus is using these moments to establish His authority. Why? Because He is this. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over everything. The law. He has shown this by doing these things over the past few weeks we've learned this. By casting out demons. He shows that He is Lord, that He has dominion, by telling the demons what to do. He has done this by healing He healed a leper. We learned that a few weeks ago. Right here, he's healed the man with a withered hand, showing that he is Lord over this world. He's shown that he is Lord with this, that he teaches with authority. Each week that we have unpacked the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus speaking as one who has authority because he is the authority. It says the crowds were amazed by his teaching. And then he has authority in this. We learned this with the paralyzed man a few weeks ago. He has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. And in this, he has established the fact that he is no ordinary man. No ordinary man can do the things that Jesus does. And yet, we'll learn next week in the next passage, his family will say this, he's out of his mind. Jesus' own family said he's out of his mind. And the religious leaders will accuse him of being demon-possessed. They completely missed who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. You see, and we learn this, rules won't save you. Only the precious blood of Jesus can. Rules won't save you. Only the precious blood of Jesus. His work, his perfect life, his atoning sacrifice on the cross, and his glorious resurrection. And so in light of this passage, I think it's important this morning to look at three approaches to God's law. We're learning about God's law. We're learning about a specific law, the Sabbath. And so in the Christian life, and I think even in this culture, we kind of see three approaches to the law. The first one is this, legalism. Many of us are have encountered this in our life, we see it in Scripture, in the Pharisees and the way that they act. They, they held the law in higher regard than God Himself because God is in their presence in Jesus. And what do they do? They ignore Him and they keep pointing to the law. Jesus was the authority and yet they kept placing their trust in written words, in the law, over and against God Himself in the flesh in their presence. Matthew 23.5 is a, is a great example of legalism. It says this, 
They do all their deeds. This is speaking of the Pharisees. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. That is legalism. So that others can see my greatness, my righteousness, my perfection. I'm not so much worried about God seeing my heart. I'm worried about the opinions of man. So they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. What in the world is a phylactery? Okay, A phylactery in this culture, in the Jewish culture, was a box that the Pharisees would tie to themselves. And in this box, they would have the Hebrew scriptures written in there. And what this is saying is they made their phylacteries really big. Why? Why were they big? So that everybody could see how great they were, how holy they were, how set apart they were. Their fringes were long so that everybody would notice them. They were legalists. Theologian J.I. Packer defines legalism as a distortion of obedience that can never produce truly good works. You see, the Pharisees had all of the appearance of goodness on the outside, but their hearts were rotten. We see that they had hard hearts. It says in this passage that Jesus was grieved by their hard-heartedness towards his wanting to heal the man with a withered hand. Can you imagine being hard-hearted towards seeing someone with a disability be miraculously healed? That's what's going on in this passage. Legalism views deeds as a way to gain God's favor, and it's loveless. We don't see love in the hearts of the Pharisees when this man is healed miraculously by Jesus Christ. The Pharisees had hard hearts towards the healing of the man with the withered hand. That's legalism. Here's another view towards the law. It's the opposite. Anti-law. Anti-law. And we see God's word say this. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, the he in this passage is Jesus, is righteous. So are we to strive towards good works? Absolutely. God's word never teaches that we're anti-law. Jesus is not anti-law. Paul is not anti-law. The law is what we look towards after we are revived by Jesus Christ, after we are regenerated and God's Holy Spirit is placed in us. The law is what we look to as a standard for living because it's the way that Jesus lived. Anti-law is the opposite of legalism. According again to J.I. Packer, uh, this anti-law view is called antinomianism, and it is the view, the name for views that have denied that God's law in Scripture should directly control the Christian's life. Another view that doesn't capture the full essence of God's law. God wants us to be transformed so that we can continually be conformed to the image of His Son, to become more like Christ. God's law is good. We're saved through the work of Christ by His fulfillment of this, the law of God. So why would we cast that off to the side? We want to live in light of God's law. The law should be a guide for our lives. The Ten Commandments, we should look at those and we should hold those in high regard because they point to Christ. And if we want to grow in Christ's likeness, we want to live our lives in light of the Ten Commandments. We want to live our lives in light of 
Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which takes the Ten Commandments and breathes fuller life into them. Helps us to see what we're supposed to truly be like. Our hearts transformed. God's law is good. The law should be a guide for our lives as Christians in becoming more like Jesus. But we see Jesus do this in this passage. He presents the best view of the law. Balance. He approaches the law with balance. Mark 2, 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Jewish leadership had been living for the Sabbath instead of living for God. God had given the Sabbath a day of rest as a good gift for humans. Here's what the Sabbath does for us. This is what the Sabbath does for us. It helps us to realize that I can rest in the work of Christ. I can rest in the work of God. You see, God didn't have to rest on the seventh day. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. But He shows us in doing that, hey, everything's going to be okay. You can take a day off. I have this under control. You see, because if if you're anything like me, I can't rest one day because something might fall apart. i got to hold it all together. But you know what? God says no. I am in control. I hold the world in my hand. And so you can take a day and you can rest because I have this under control. It's a high view of God's sovereignty that he controls all things. Jesus said again, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In Kentucky, Jesus would say this, y'all got it wrong. Y'all got this wrong. You're going about this wrong. God loves you and wants to give you rest, but you turn my blessing into a burden. The religious leaders had turned the Sabbath into a burden, something that was supposed to be freeing to them, was now weight on their backs because they were counting 1,999 paces to make sure that they didn't violate the Sabbath. Do you see what legalism does to us? The commandments of of God are a great guide towards Christ-likeness, but never forget that you have the righteousness of Christ covering you first and foremost. Mark 3, 4, it says this, And he said to them, the them here is the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. Balance is not a popular position. We love to live in the extremes. Look at the political landscape that we're in. We want to be extreme. We want to be passionate about our end of the spectrum. And yet we witness Jesus observe the Sabbath. Jesus couldn't have violated the Sabbath because he perfectly fulfilled God's law. So we, look at, we can look at Jesus' life and know that he did not violate the Sabbath. He had to live according to the law perfectly. But he also heals on the Sabbath. And then he says this, it's always right to do what is good. No matter what day of the week it is, it's always right to have a compassionate and loving and gracious and merciful heart. Church, we have to hear this. It's always right to be like that. It's always right to reflect Christ. Never should we hold up a hand in condemnation and judgment to the world that doesn't know Christ. Jesus didn't do that to us. 
He came to us right where we were at, showing us love, mercy, compassion. I want to illustrate these three viewpoints to you uh, using music. I think music is a great illustration. I've said in the past I love music. I love good rock and roll music. And in music, we find a couple of different approaches. We have kind of a legalistic approach. Uh, I, I love guitar. I love playing the guitar. I love watching guys that are super technical at the guitar. They have all the techniques down. They know all the notes. They know all the modes. They know all the scales. They've watched all the videos. They've learned where everything should go. And yet they play something, and it doesn't sound musical at all. Because it's just a bunch of technique all over the fretboard. Confusing, fast. It's awesome to watch. And yet to my ears, a lot of times it's not necessarily music. We see another approach to music, the approach of the toddler. Anybody ever have a toddler with a little toy, play school xylophone? They get the little mallets and they beat away on that thing. They don't know the notes. They don't know the techniques. They don't know how music should sound. They've heard it in the background. And so what does that sound like? A bunch of jumbled up, messy noise. Notes not strung together right. There's no technique, no knowledge. That's the anti-law approach. So we have legalism and people that are overly technical. They know all the ins and outs, but there's just no musical heart behind it to put all of those together and create a melody. And then we have the last view, balance. We come across beautiful music from people who know and understand this. They understand technique, and they apply them in a musical way. It's not just a bunch of notes in the right scale, as fast as you possibly can go, but they're slowed down, they're expressed, there's heart, and then comes forth what? Melody and music. I think it's a great illustration of these three viewpoints. We will go too far one way. We have rigidness. There's no heart behind it. We go too far the other way. We have a bunch of noise and there's no order. But yet Jesus comes right down the middle. Balance. Bringing instruction, command, law, but grace and mercy and love and compassion and blending those together. And we have a beautiful melody in the gospel. Finally this morning, we find this. We find freedom and rest in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We find freedom and rest in Jesus Christ. That's what the Sabbath was all about. Rest in the work of God. God's in control. We have freedom and rest in Jesus Christ. Jesus says this, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is Sabbath. Jesus is rest. You see, the whole law does this. It points to a person. The law points to a person. And the person is who? Say it with me at home. It's Jesus Christ. The law points to Jesus. It's all about Him. And we see that in a very personal way right here in this passage. Jesus says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of one of the laws, the Sabbath. It's all about Jesus. And we do this, since it's all about Him, we interpret the law in light of, of the work of Jesus Christ. 
We have freedom and rest in the work of Jesus so that we don't have to work for our own salvation. You don't have to check the list. Your heart does not have to grieve because of sin because your sin is covered. It is atoned for at the cross of Christ. Does that mean that we keep on sinning? So that grace abounds, Paul says what? By no means. Our response to the gospel is a life that is, here's the word, transformed. It's transformed in striving to not want to sin because of the spirit within. But in the midst of that, when we fall short, we have this. Rest in the work of Christ. Rest in Jesus. And yet we do this. We want to distort God's goodness and grace. Some of, this, some of us, I'm guilty of this myself, can oftentimes look more like Pharisees than Jesus. I'm guilty of that. Mark 3, 5, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. How many times have I not acted like Jesus and been, not been compassionate to the person that needs rest in Christ? Church, let's be honest. How many times have we done that? Imagine yourself in the room, of the, the gym here at North Bullet Christian Church, sitting in these seats, the doorways behind you, and someone walks through the doorway, and they don't look like they belong. We've all been here on a Sunday when someone comes in and they don't, they don't look like they belong and we all turn over our shoulder and we look back and we spread out our stuff a little bit more on the seats because I don't want that person to come sit next to me. How many of us have been like the Pharisees? That person doesn't fit the mold. I don't want them to sit in my seat. I saw them down in Louisville last week doing things they shouldn't have done. They don't belong here. How many of us have a heart like that at times? I know I struggle with it. And yet those are the type of people that Jesus came to and said, follow me. Learn from me. Leave behind your life of sin. Compassion. We need to be honest about these things. All too often we want to sit here as Christians and we want to point the finger at the Pharisees and say, I'm not like them. But if we're honest, we can look in the mirror and say, man, I'm a lot like them. Jesus, forgive me for that. And give me rest in your work on the cross. And Jesus says this. I think it's fitting from Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. In light of Sabbath and having rest in his work, freedom and rest in the work of Christ, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you this rest. And so if you struggle with legalism, you can, you can flee from that. You can be living in light of the law because you are transformed through the blood of Christ to reflect the compassion and mercy and grace that Jesus has, that you can be loving to other people and compassionate. If you're the opposite of that, you're anti-law, you're fleeing from that, I'm going to be a rebel. God's spirit is within you and it's stirring in your heart. 
A Christian life looks different than what it looked like before you were a Christian. You should be transformed. And so it's both. And so we look at Jesus' approach and we see balance. We see love and compassion, but we also see full fulfillment of the law in his perfect life. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Church, rest in this hope. We come to Jesus with nothing. He gives us everything. He gives us rest right now. I think we forget about that. We want to look to eternity, my eternal rest. But Jesus gives you rest right now. He gives you rest in this, that he's in control. Nothing is outside the realm of his sovereign hand and his control. He gives you rest in that. He gives you rest in assurance of your faith. He gives you so much assurance that he gives his Holy Spirit to live within you. And if you are truly saved, the Holy Spirit can never depart from you. God holds on to you and holds on to your heart and keeps pointing you back to him and his work. He gives you rest here and now in that. He gives you rest in this. He gives you joy in the midst of suffering. We have peace that passes understanding. In the midst of tribulation and turmoil and suffering and pain, Christians have always been noted throughout history of handling those things well. Those who are truly in Christ. Being a reflection of rest in his work. We have Sabbath in the work of Christ. We no longer toil in longing for God. We have him in Jesus Christ. And we have this, his spirit empowering us towards Christ-likeness. And so church, remember him. Remember him this morning. Remember the rest that he gives you. And so in just a few minutes, uh, the band's going to start making their way up here on stage. Uh, I encourage you this last week to gather uh, elements to receive communion. And so I want to encourage you right now, take a few minutes. You can walk, get those, get your cracker, your bread, and your juice. Bring it there with your family or whoever's present with you in your home watching this this morning and prepare to receive communion. If you forgot, that's okay. I'm sure you got a bottle of Dr. Pepper and some cheese at crackers in the, in the cupboard. Grab those too. Uh, this is a symbol. It's a sign of remembrance, okay? And so use something in your house, come together, commune with those, and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what it's all about. We receive the bread or the cracker as a remembrance of body's, uh, Christ's body that was given for you. And we receive the juice in remembrance of his blood that was spilled for you on the cross that atones for your sin. Also, uh, this morning, you'll be joining us singing. Uh, we're going to sing together. I would encourage you to rise in your house this morning, to stand up, to sing as people who have been redeemed by Christ, and remember the freedom and rest that you have in Him and His work on the cross. Uh, if you'd like to give to our church, there's a number of different ways you can do that. Obviously, you can't do that here because we're not here together this morning, uh, but you can give to our church in supporting the mission and vision of North Bullet Christian Church by mailing a check to our church address, you can get that online at northbulletcc.org. Uh, if you go to that website, you can give online as well. Uh, there's a, a tab at the top of the page that says giving. Just click right on there. Follow the instructions. You can also bring your contribution to the church during office hours throughout the week. We'll be here. Uh, and you can also give it through online bill pay through your own personal bank. 
And if you have any questions at all, uh, feel free to give us a call here at the office or shoot us an email, and uh, we would love to walk through and help you uh, with that. We need your support in this time as we continue ministry here in our community and loving our uh, community. And then lastly, just make sure you're spending time. Uh, we, don't, we don't have our elders in your homes with you. Make sure you guys are coming together as a family as we conclude this morning. Spend some time coming together and praying. Uh, pray that God's fame would spread through this crisis that we're having right now. Uh, pray that God would come against this virus and that he would heal our community, our nation, and the world. Pray with me this morning. God, we do love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love found in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great Sabbath rest that we get in his work. Lord, we thank you for his perfect life. Lord, his perfect fulfillment of the law. We thank you for his death on the cross and his blood that was spilled as an atonement for our sin, a covering that we receive his righteousness through faith. Lord, we thank you for your glorious resurrection, that we are new creations through Christ. We thank you for your promises that come through the resurrection, that this broken, fallen world isn't the end of the story, that a new and glorious body and a recreated earth is the end of all things, being eternally in your presence. Lord, we pray as we receive communion this morning that we would remember your sacrifice on the cross. God, would you stir in our hearts, hearts of compassion and love towards our community, that we could be just like Jesus, having a heart for the lost, a heart for the broken, a heart for the suffering, a heart for those who are far from you. Lord, would you help us in this time to raise our voices, unified even though we are a part, a unified body of Christ, singing joyfully of your great love, singing joyfully of your compassionate heart, singing joyfully of your work in Christ. We pray these things through the power of the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.